Good morning, everybody. Welcome to 2017. You made it. Now, we've been at this for 10 and a half hours. Your resolution still intact? <laughs> yeah, I know some of you are tired, so thanks for coming. Uh, I know that uh, between the weather and just everything going on last night, um, a lot of people are going, Is it, can, I, can I make it? <laughs> Is it better to just stay in bed? I get that. Um, but I appreciate that you are here. Uh, to, to worship with us this morning, and I just pray that God would bless you uh, as we come and now uh, listen to his word. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at the place of praise in the life of the congregation. And in particular, we're going to be looking at Psalm 146, so if you have a Bible and want to turn there, that's where we'll spend the majority of our time. Uh, but before we uh, do that, I'm going to look at a couple passages uh, in Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, but before we do that, let me just pray for us really quickly. Uh, Father in heaven, we come now before your word, uh, and we open it up uh, in your presence before you. And with our Bibles, we also open our, our hearts to you and ask, God, that you would come and do a work in them. Um, God, if New Year's resolutions teach us anything, it's that we have work to do, uh, and we can't do it. Um, and so, God, I just pray that um, we would sit at your feet this morning our great helper and our teacher, and that you would come and, and work in our hearts uh, because we can't do it ourselves. And so, God, we ask now for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 5, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of passages um, that talk about singing a little bit, um, and then we'll kind of move through Psalm 146, okay? So Ephesians 5, 18, and then Colossians 3.16. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.16, listen, that sounds very similar. Let the word of Christ dwell in, dwell in you rich, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, the Apostle Paul is who wrote both of these letters. He wrote them to churches in completely different cities, but he said the same thing to both of them, right? And there's kind of two parts of it. I want you to sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and the reason I want you to do that, or part of when you do that, is there should be some thankfulness in your heart. You should be doing this in your heart. There's some stuff going on in your heart when this is happening, okay? So the first thing we probably want to ask is, what's the difference between a psalm and a hymn and a spiritual song? What is, what is that? Well, a psalm is, quite honestly, it's just the 150 chapters that are in the book of the psalms, and they're inspired scripture. That's what the psalms are, okay? And those were a normal practice in the church, to work through these psalms. These, this was their hymnal, in a sense, okay? Now, hymns, they're not inspired scripture, but they're often inspired by scripture. And they're also used for congregational worship. And then spiritual songs, we could think of as, the Bible also talks about uh, singing a new song, right? So these are just songs that they're not, it's not that they can't be sung in church. A lot of times some of them fit, but a lot of times some of them don't. Uh, there are some Lecrae tunes that I really like, but wouldn't work here. And some of you are going, I don't even know who Lecrae is. There's a reason, 
you probably don't know. He's a rapper, a Christian rapper, okay? And yes, I like it once in a while. Because he, he does some amazing things with the lyrics that speak to my heart and, and elevate who Jesus is. And in a way that nobody else is able to do, right? Because it's a different kind of music, right? But would that work for Cedarholm? No, <laughs> right? But at the same time, what Paul is exhorting us to do here is that we're supposed to use psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with one another, right? That's, I mean, it's pretty clear that that's what he's instructing us, right? Is that we're supposed to be using those with one another to encourage one another in thankfulness toward God. And the point of these passages is not to find ways to categorize our music or discern which one's more spiritual. Indeed, there are churches who are psalms only. There are churches that are hymns only. There are churches that are only new songs. And Paul says, use them all. He doesn't say, you know, pick one of these. He says, use them all. Use everything to encourage one another. So use songs of all types. Now as we turn our attention to Psalm 146, we see that David, the worship leader of that congregation, is aiming for this same thing, that we would, as God's people, we would praise Jehovah our God and that our hearts would move in affection toward him. So let's look at Psalm 146. I'm just going to read it. Um, If you want to follow along, you can. It'll be on the screen, I believe, behind me as well. Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This psalm, Psalm 146, is the first of five what are called hallelujah psalms. They're called hallelujah psalms. These last five in the 150, 146 through 150, are called hallelujah psalms. And if you'll look, the beginning and end of each of them begins with hallelujah, or praise the Lord. And it ends with hallelujah, praise the Lord. And in the middle, there's some material there that David wants to use to help spur us on toward praising God. Because the exhortation at the beginning is hallelujah, praise the Lord, and it ends with hallelujah, praise the Lord. And when you think about it, in the book of Psalms, which is not all praise, there are psalms of lament, there are psalms of confession, there are psalms of thanksgiving, but these last five, he saved to the end of the book this is the crescendo of the book and it's all about praise and that's what he's encouraging us toward so they're meant to stir us up and praise now I have a confession I don't like camping very much I used to like it I'm older and now I make a bed that I can't sleep in 
in a tent that takes a lot of time that I need to sleep longer because it took so much energy to make, have to make the tent. And then every time you're going to cook, it's like you have to reinvent the kitchen just to make the food. And so you spend all day getting ready to sleep and eat. And I'd rather do other things than when I'm camping. But part of camping, of course, and this is the kids' favorite part, is s'mores, right? But to have s'mores, you've got to start a fire. Now, there are some things I've learned about camping and that there are better ways to stoke a fire than blowing on it because that usually just gets you lightheaded, right? But what I'll do is I'll take one of the lids off of our bin, you know, one of the bins that we carry our stuff in, and I'll start fanning it with one of those. Well, you start moving that much oxygen over that fire, it, it heats up really quick, and it saves a lot of, you know, stars and <laughs> that other stuff that you see, right? Now, when David is exhorting God's people to praise, he's attempting to fan into flame a more intense zeal than the zeal that they presently have. When he exhorts them at the beginning, he says, praise ye the Lord. That word hallelujah means praise you all the Lord. In the South, you say you all. They have a plural form of it, of you. We don't really have one, but it's basically you here, praise the Lord. It's an exhortation. Now, if David's an adept leader, a powerful motivational speaker, he could whip up the crowd into an emotional frenzy and manipulate a kind of zeal that's inauthentic. They're excited for the sake of being excited. And Jesus once said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And David doesn't want to encourage that kind of zeal. Like with that campfire, I can fan it, I can get it really hot, and then I could take a stone and I could put the stone in the middle of that fire and I could vigorously fan on it. The stone's going to get hot, but it's not really burning, right? In a similar way, we want real affection to come out, not just something that looks like affection. And David seems to employ a two-stage method of starting this fire within our souls in the psalm. Stage one is the kindling of exhortation, and stage two, he fans the flame by a proclamation of truth, and that's what we're going to see. So in stage one, we see this in verse one. He says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, why does he need to do this? It's because when you and I came here this morning, we were thinking about too many sausages that we ate last night. We were thinking about, you know, whatever it was that we were doing last night. You were talking about it. What did you do? I was talking with Jessica. You know, what did you do last night? And, you know, that's where our minds are, right? And, but we need exhortation to say, okay, everybody, listen. Whatever we're doing, this is the time to praise the Lord. That's what we're here to do. And so that's what David's doing. And then not only that, he's going, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Because he's saying, soul, listen, I know you're not into it right now. I know that you're tired. I know you're not feeling it. But come on, soul. This is the place. We're with God's people. This is what this is for. This is what this time is set aside for. You know, we wobble throughout the entire week, you know, just spiritually. Things are, we're being bombarded by a million things. But this is the place where we're not bombarded with those. This is the place where we have a time as a congregation to focus and turn our attention to the one who can help us. And so that's what David's doing. He's saying, okay, everybody, we're here. This is what we're here for. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. I'm here with you, right? 
Now, exhortation is an interesting thing because it's, it's not a word that we use. And was the last time that you used the word exhortation? Children, I exhort you. No. Go do it now, right? The thing is, exhortation is not a command. It's different. It's more like coaching. It's more like somebody who says, okay, guys, come on, we got to go. We got to go do this. It's the right thing to do. It's the next right thing to do. Let's go do it. Can you imagine if it was a command? Dylan's up here leading and, okay, stop, stop. Keith, stop playing. Uh, Kate, Nathan, Keith, you're supposed to be back here. Listen, that's not good enough. You're not praising. I mean, if it was a command, you should be disciplined for it, right? You should be, re- 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 sorry, be rebuked for not obeying it, but it's not a command. It's an exhortation because here's the deal. You can command somebody all you want, but their heart has to be wooed. It can't be told what to do, especially when it comes to praising God. Our hearts are hard. That's what the Bible teaches. They are calloused. They're blind. They can't hear. And we need God's spirit to soften it up. And so commanding somebody to do it usually just hardens their heart more. So he's exhorting. It's different. He's saying, come on. Come on, family, let's do this. So the next question that comes up, though, is what does zealous praise look like? Now, in this psalm, in the next verse, verse 2, David says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So part of his exhortation is to sing, right? We were just singing. But singing isn't the only outward expression of praise that the Bible affords us. Psalm 34.1 says that we can extol the Lord with our lips. Psalm 27.6 says we can sacrifice shouts of joy. 95.6 says we can bow down. Psalm 119.120 says that we can stand in awe. Psalm 149.3 says that we can praise with dancing. Psalm 33.2 says that we can praise him with instruments, even loud instruments at times. Psalm 47.1 says that we can offer applause. And Psalm 63.4 says that we can lift up our hands. Brothers and sisters, in your life of praising God, are there expressions of praise that the Bible mentions that you've never even bothered or never done? Now, I'm not here to shame you or command you to do them. I'm just asking a question. Because they're here, they're regularly employed in the, New T- in the Old Testament. The God's the same who we're praising in the New Testament. Here's what we at leadership, as leadership at Cedar Home want you to hear is that we're giving you permission to express praise to God in any of these ways that the Bible mentions. You're free to do that. The only admonition I have is that if you're reluctant to do these things because you're thinking about the people around you, I just ask you, and I get it, I get it. I just ask you to cast aside that burden because you're gonna be, in, you're gonna be stuck. We're made to worship God. That's what we we're designed to do. It's what we're, we're designed to give glory to God, to sing praises to God. What are we gonna do in heaven? I mean, if you got to heaven and all your pain was gone, all the 
mess that you have to deal with here was gone, would you be happy? Yeah, you would. You'd be fine. Jesus wouldn't even have to be there and you'd be happy. But that's not the, the heaven that the Bible describes. We are gathered around the throne and we are worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Lamb who was slain. And we're singing, we're praising, we're shouting, we're applauding. And so why wouldn't we do that now? It's the same king. Now who can tell me what happens at 125 today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right, Elijah, you're awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you just made my morning. Um, that's right, the Seahawks are playing. And what's going to be happening and is happening now? Praising. Lots of praising. I mean, when our team scores a touchdown, I mean, you stand up and the chips go flying and your hands are in the air and you're yelling, right? You're shouting for joy, you're clapping. And there's nothing wrong with that. And what you're expecting right now is for me to come with a big guilt club and whack you upside the head with shame that your experience of the Seahawks is more exciting than your experience of Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to do that, and here's why. Because praising the Seahawks is easy. It's easy. It's clear what the outcomes are. It's clear what success looks like. It's clear what some phenomenal uh, athletic feat looks like. It's really easy. As clear as a bell, that was a touchdown. Yes. Okay. But in our spiritual lives, what a touchdown is, what counts as success, is a lot more marbled than that. It's swirled together with we've got hope and fear at the same time. We've got joy and sorrow at the same time. And it's not wrapped in four 15-minute quarters with a clock at the end. It's all of our life. And so in Romans 8, 28, it says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he's going to work all things together for good, but the thing that just happened last week, it hasn't been worked for good yet. So praising is a little harder than at a Seahawks game. Okay, so don't beat yourself up about it. But that said, there are times, there are times when it's clear. And in those times, shouldn't our experience, shouldn't we allow ourselves to praise with the same kind of, th of activity that we find other things praiseworthy? Again, I, this is not a, it's not a guilt thing. I, the last thing I ever want to do with you is guilt you into doing something because it's just a lousy form of motivation. It tells you that you're condemned <laughs> and you're not. We just do not want to clobber with guilt. It's just not helpful. I think I might have flipped too many pages here. Okay, there we are. See, I w we want you to know that as leaders here at Cedar Home, we're committed to seeking God for how we can create environments that help us to do this better. This isn't just your problem where well, you guys got to figure this out and we as leaders, we just sit here and tell you you should do it. That's not it. Okay, you might have noticed a few months ago we changed the order of service around a bit because we wanted a little more continuity between our singing, uh, worship through singing and worship through the word. It's one of the reasons we wanted to do that. We didn't want it to be broken up with announcements and all of that. And we're continuing to seek God for what are some other ways that we can 
facilitate these kind of environments. We don't know what they look like yet. We're still working through it because we don't want it to be manipulative. We don't want it to be that stone that looks like it's hot when it isn't. So we want to we help you to have authentic praise. So you may hear us inviting you to more, more overtly uh, praise God and set aside whatever's been bothering us throughout the day and that this time that we have together is for extolling our Lord. You know, one of my, um, sorry, that's our role. No, these are the things that we're going to work out. But one of the things that's interesting about those first two verses we read from Ephesians and Colossians is that those aren't addressed to leaders sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. That's addressed to you, right? So you're supposed to be doing that with one another. And I don't know if you noticed, but there are a lot of songs that we sing that aren't to God. They're actually to one another or for one another. You might not be thinking about it that way. But one of the songs that we sing is one of my favorites that we're doing right now is uh, uh, The Lion and the Lamb. And I especially love the part that says, Our God is a lion. I'm not even going to get through this. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring in power and fighting our battles. Man, when I, when I sit here and I look around and I know where some of you are at, and I'm singing those words as heartily as I can for you because, man, I know you need to hear it. You need to believe that God is fighting your battle for you because you're done. You don't even want to get out of bed in the morning, but you're here and you're looking to God for your help. And if I can help by my singing this truth over you, that's, that's what I think Paul is talking about. Is we're singing it says our God is fighting our battles, our, not uh, God, you're fighting my battles. It's not directed that way. And a lot of the Psalms are the same way. If you read through them, it's not to God. It's just truth about God for the congregation to meditate on. And so when we're singing, remember that your singing is not just for you. It's not just about what you're doing with God. It's about what we're doing for each other. So listen to your brothers and sisters around you. If you can't sing, listen to them singing for you. And if somebody around you isn't singing, sing for them. You can act kind of in a priestly way by just saying, God, I want to help this person. I want to pray for these people who are around me, the people that I know, the things they're struggling with. And as I sing this song, this sounds like a message they need to hear. This is a God that they need to have invade their life and their heart right now, and I just pray you would do that. These are some of the things you can do while you're singing. It isn't just reading the words to a melody. That's what choirs do. We're doing worship here. It's different. So that's stage one is exhortation. It's again, it's that, come on, everybody, let's do this, right? And David moves to stage two. Remember, he wants to kindle this fire. He's kind of put the, he's kindled it. He's kind of lit it by the exhortation, and now he wants to fan it into flame. And he does that by holding up truth. Again, he could just fan the flame. He could just do a lot of fanning. But again, that's that inauthentic stuff that just whips you up into a frenzy. He's like, no, it needs to be solid. It can't be hollow praise. Jesus said, I don't want hollow praise. So how do we do that? We make sure that the praise is filled with truth. And we see that in the rest of the psalm. 
So we start here in 146, verses 3 and 4. It says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So we find here three people in whom we should not put our trust. The first one is princes. The second one is a son of man. Now, son of man here, don't confuse it with a title that is sometimes given to Jesus, son of man. This is different. Okay, it's just son of man. The, word, the Hebrew word for man is Adam. It's son of Adam, just a descendant of Adam is all this means. You and I, were all descendants of Adam. Okay, so don't put your trust in the son of man. And the third person, not listed there but implied, is you. Don't put your trust in you. You're a son of man also. Now look at this passage. Why shouldn't we trust them? Why shouldn't we trust the princes? Go ahead and look. You don't have to look at me. Look at your Bible or on the screen. What, what does the Bible say? What's the reason that we shouldn't put our trust in them? Is it because they're bad? It's because they're going to die, right? It's because they're going to die. Now, it's almost impossible to when reading princes in this passage to not see the connection to the office of the President of the United States. We're going to do an inauguration in, what, at two, three weeks, whatever it is. And no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall, your leaders on your side are going to fail you. Not necessarily because they're bad, although, okay. But, but that's not why. That's not why they're going to fail you. The reason they're going to fail you is because they're mortal. They're going to fail you because they're finite. They're going to fail you because they're mere men. They're going to make promises that they can't keep. And because they're going to change or they're going to die, don't put your hope in them. I mean, case in point, look at all the jockeying that goes around between administrations. This one tries to cram through as much policy, and then this one comes through and rearranges it when they get on the other side. And if you put your hope in that, in those policies or that person, your hope's going to be doing what they're doing. Every four to eight years, here's your hope, Right? And here's how this usually works. There's broad brushstrokes here. If we trust in government for change, when things don't go our way, we tend toward despair. If the government is our hope, and now the government's under the control of somebody who's not going to take it the direction I want to, with policies I don't agree with, woe is me and woe is our nation. And the underlying theme there is there's no hope. Now, more conservative folks... They tend toward not despair. Now, it looks a little different when things don't go our way. We double down on Smith and Wesson and concealed carry and bunkers. And our message isn't that there's no hope. It's that, yeah, there's hope, and that hope is me. In both cases, we're putting our trust in a son of man. And we are destined to be disappointed. And David exhorts us, don't do it. Don't put your trust there. Instead, he says, blessed is he, happy, not despairing. Happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. Blessed is he whose help and hope is God, not in a prince, not in in a son of Adam, and not in himself. And then through the remainder of the psalm, David describes this God in whom our help and hope is. And we can see These characteristics, I think, in three categories. We see the strength of God, we see the faithfulness of God, and we see the willingness of God. And all three are important, and we'll see that in just a minute. 
Let's read the rest of the psalm. It says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. What's this God like? Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. God is strong, faithful, and willing to help. David points to God's comprehensive strength in creation. The heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He doesn't leave anything out. The heaven. The heavens. We've got stars, galaxies, all that. The earth and all that's in it. Creatures, animals, plants, the ecosystems that blow your mind when you start looking at how it's all connected and this just happened. Yeah, right, no. There's no way. And then the sea and all that's in it. I don't know if you knew the orcas were out in Saratoga Passage this week. I tried to get out there and see them. They were too far away for me to see. But I love to go watch just the glory of God through his creation. Things like that are just mesmerizing. And if he can do that, if he's capable of creating all that, he's certainly capable to help any of his creatures with any problems that they have. He's not like princes and their armies whose strength has limits and can be overcome with a greater prince with a greater army later. So not only is God strong, but we also see in this passage that he's faithful. He's not like a son of Adam who perishes in dust. So when he makes a promise, he can keep it. And not only can he keep it, but he does keep it. Verse six, since verse six says that he keeps faith forever. He is faithful. And in verse 10, it says he reigns forever to all generations. So this hope that we have, we're placing it in someone who's eternal. He's faithful. But being strong enough is not enough. A tyrant can be strong. And being faithful and strong is not enough. A husband can be strong and faithful to never leave but not be helpful at all. But we have a God who's not only capable and faithful, but he's also willing to help. He acts. As we read through the passage, we see that he executes justice. He will make everything right. He feeds the hungry. Did you eat today or yesterday? Have you been hungry and he fed you? Yeah, everything you had came from him. He's feeding you all the time. It wasn't McDonald's or the grocery store. It was him. He feeds the hungry. He frees prisoners from whatever enslaves them. He opens the eyes of the blind. And by this, it's not just spiritual eyes. That's what Jesus did um, when he gives us his spirit to open the eyes of the, our spiritual eyes. There's physical eyes too that Jesus healed, right? There were people who were blind. He put mud in their eyes and they were able to see again. But this is, in this passage, it's talking about you're just confused. You're in, you don't know which way is up right now in your life. You don't see, you're blind, you don't see a way out, but God gives sight. He gives wisdoms to help you find a way out. He lifts those who are bowed down by heavy burdens. He loves those who do right things when it's hard. He watches over sojourners, people who don't feel like they have a place. Now, some of you, you're a sojourner. I haven't been a sojourner in a long time. If you've been between jobs, anytime, you were a sojourner. Some of you have been kind of, I don't know what's going to happen. My contract's up. 
you're out of a job now and you don't know where you're going to go and I don't know if I'm going to live in the same place that I'm at now. Where am I going to be? You're a sojourner and God's watching out for you. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, single moms with kids who are fatherless. God has a special place. He is watching out for you and your kids. He brings the wicked to ruin. We are not in a world without consequences for wrongdoing. The thing is, is that God is not only capable, not only faithful, but he acts. He's not indifferent to our condition. He's compassionate, and he hears us when we call out to him. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 18. And in it, David says, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And then the next several paragraphs, David presents this picture, this magnificent picture of a God who in fury leaves his throne to go rescue his beloved. The earth rocks and reels as God shakes heaven and earth and he springs into action to help David. I mean, you just think of when a, you know, a lion is sitting there waiting and when they determine it's time to go, they're just tearing up everything around them to get going, right? Dirt's flying, grass is flying. That's the picture that David paints of God when he hears David say, I need help. He's like, time to go, gone. And, he tear, and, the, and the earth is shaking because it's God who's moving. It's just a magnificent psalm about a God who acts. When he hears you, he acts. He doesn't just go like us. You sit down. Mommy, can I have a glass of water? So we reluctantly get up. There is no reluctance with God. When he hears our voice, he wants to help us. Now he has wisdom. He's perfect in all of these things. And he has reasons for why he doesn't appear to spring to our defense the way we expect him to. But you gotta remember, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the things that we know, that we can know, we know, and the things that God decides that we don't get to know, we don't get to know. And it's his secret counsel, and we're not God, so we don't get to say, but you need to tell me. He says, I'm good, I've proven myself good, and that's one of the things about trials. When you think about them, they're, they're only good in hindsight, right? But the reason God gives you that hindsight is so that you have faith for the foresight. I'm in a trouble now, but you know, he's got me through every single one of them before. Those kind of, they turned out all right. So this thing's gonna turn out all right. And so we can have faith that, oh, he's gonna work it out. Even if I can't understand it, he's gonna work it out. So God doesn't get tired when he moves. And this is the God to whom David points us. He says, listen, congregation, praise him. This is who we're gonna praise. We've got, to praise uh, we've got a God who is capable and faithful and willing. This is the God that we come to praise. So he starts with, again, it's a hallelujah psalm. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Here's who God is. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then he closes the psalm. And we're gonna do something a little different than we normally do, but I think it's appropriate for what we're doing. Um, I mean, these psalms were meant for a congregation to work through together, right? So we're gonna actually read this one together. So if you'd stand. 
Uh, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Um, I'm going to read. Uh, there are parts that I'm going to read and parts that you're going to read. Okay? And we'll see. So you guys are going to have the underlined parts. All right? Is it clear what we're doing? All you're doing is reading. It's not too hard. <laughs> okay? But again, this is part of corporate worship. We're here together to extol these truths together. Okay? So here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, who made heaven and earth, who keeps faith forever. Jehovah sets the prisoners free. Jehovah lifts up those who are bowed down. Jehovah watches over the sojourners. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Father in heaven, we stand in awe of you. This morning we stand um, because you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that you sent help to us in Jesus to pay for our sins. And as we come to the communion table this morning, God, I just pray that you would um, just move among us, just continue to move among us to, to build into our hearts um, a willingness to praise you, a willingness to open ourselves up to asking you how we could express our praise to you in ways that are fitting and appropriate to who you are. I pray that no one here would be bludgeoned with guilt for anything. If they've been washed in the blood, Father, I just pray that they would experience freedom in you and joy in you and, and, and just an unbounded, unbounded, unfettered uh, just willingness to want to come to you and and do whatever you ask. God, as leaders, we don't want to manipulate anybody. That's not what we're after. We're after, though, the same thing you are, which is hearts that praise you and lips that praise you and that they work together and that it's not uh, empty praise, but that it's full of truth of who you are. Thank you for being a God who is faithful and capable and willing to come and help us. And so we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.